But we're halfway now, and we're ending the section, what we kind of call the historical narrative story section of Daniel. And what we have found in this series is that Daniel and and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have been carted off to Babylon from their native home of Israel, along with thousands of other exiles from Judah, the southern kingdom. And we realize that, that once they get there, they have an immediate decision to make, okay? And the immediate decision is, God, what do you want us to do? Here we are, 600 miles from home. We're never going to see our homeland again. Our, the, the temple has been destroyed. We are enslaved. We are enrolled in the magical dark arts, like a Harry Potter series under Nebuchadnezzar. We, um, we've been made eunuchs. We've been castrated. I mean, let's be honest. We have no hope for a future, no hope for a life, no hope for a family. God, what do you want us to do in our Babylon? You want us to sort of hunker down? Do we get in the corner in a fetal position, <laughs> kind of hide ourselves? Do we, do, God, do you want us to run away? You want us to move to a new country, if that's even possible? Do you want us to, to, to rise up? Do you want us to rebel? And what we have found in these six weeks together so far is that Daniel and his friends have done none of those things. None of those things. They've simply said, God, we accept and receive where we are right here, right now, today, and we want to be faithful. And not only do we want to be faithful, Lord, we want to thrive spiritually. We want to live in this country, want to live in this land in a way that honors you, in a way that bears witness to you, regardless of how dark and grim it may seem out there. So God, do with us what you will. And it's been an amazing series, I think, so far as we've looked at the life of Daniel and his friends. And and here we're going to find in Daniel 6 this morning that he has confronted Daniel with a question that I think we are going to find more and more relevant for us culturally as we move into the coming days. And, and, And here's the issue. God tells us, Four Oaks, be salt and light. Okay, that means you are, you are, in among the culture, you are in among the people. Romans 13, obey the civil authorities, be a good citizen, love your neighbor. There's all sorts of outward-facing commands that God's Word gives to us. But how do we do that and yet remain faithful, yet remain distinct, yet remain holy? How do we do that in a way that, that, that demonstrates that our ultimate allegiance is to God and God alone. God, how do, we, how do we do that? That's what Daniel's wrestling with. I think that's what a lot of us are wrestling with. And it's not, a, it's not an academic exercise. Okay, just this week, week before, the Ninth Judicial Circuit Court of Appeals uh, in California, which is notorious for their judicial lunacy, but nonetheless, okay, they ruled this past week that women's pregnancy centers in the state of California, are required, they must tell women about abortions. And not only tell them about the option of abortion, but tell them where they can go to find an abortion. Now, let me understand. Understand something. They must. It has been decreed. It is now the law. In the state of Florida, that would be like telling our partners at a women's pregnancy center that you must now counsel women in a variety of options, including the option of taking the life of your unborn child. And by the way, here's the address 
to the nearest Planned Parenthood office, go for it. And we must say, my goodness, I mean, what about First Amendment and Bill of Rights and freedom of speech and freedom of religion and all those sorts of things? Again, it would be like parents, you must stop teaching your children about the exclusivity of the gospel. You must teach in your home that all religions are equally valid. Pastor, you must now endorse all various sexual lifestyles and choices and not make a judgment between them. As it's, not, it's, it's not academic any longer. The question is, what are we to do? How are you and I to thrive in our Babylon? Okay? And so in our text this morning, we're going to get the, the, the most close-up picture we have of the life of Daniel. We're going to see, you know, we've been, on the, we've been up here a lot in Daniel and themes about God's sovereignty and power and working and preserving his people. And now we kind of get to the, to the nitty-gritty grassroots. What did this look like in Daniel's life? So we're going to be in Daniel 6. We're going to read the whole thing, start to finish. We can do it, right? We can do it. Jay Johansson's saying, we can do it. But Jay's like, don't make me read it. Okay, so I'm going to read it, okay? It's going to be good. Here we go. And we're doing this because you can't chop these things up. You do, you've got to take them in one dose. Here we go. We'll have it up on the screen as well. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps became, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps <clears throat> excuse me, came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. 
Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I'm going to ask one of our elders, and this is something we've started doing recently. Um, getting different elders just so you know who they are and begin to, to put names and faces and see who your spiritual leaders are besides your pastors or those who are up here leading and teaching. And Aaron Kennan is going to stand up and pray for our time in the Word. Aaron, would you do that? Father God, we come before your holy throne of grace and mercy, and we thank you for your Son, Jesus, who has made a way for us to do that. So we come before you and say, Abba, Father, be with us this day in the reading of the word. Um, Father, just uh, thank you for the, the discipline, dedication, um, and study that Paul has put into this sermon. But Father, uh, even in and through all that, would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells him, give power to the word that he proclaims to us today. Father, as we look at this passage, we ask that you would press upon each one of our hearts that, that we would bow our knees before you each day, three times a day, more if you just call us to it. And Father, as we bow our knees before you, would you give us strength to stand before the rulers and authorities of this world, before the culture that is before us? Um, Father, just give us the strength to humbly shine your light before this dark world. 
And Father, um, each one of us, whatever fears are before us, whatever anxiety is before us, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would cast that away. Just as we look at Daniel and the fears that must have been before him, would you give us that same power and strength? Father, let us bow our knees before you. Bring us, uh, bring us joy this morning as we hear your word. Give, it, give us power uh, through the truth of it um, and be with us through this sermon. We just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Aaron. It was the rock band The Who in 1971 who penned the now infamous lyrics, New Boss is what? Same as the old boss. Okay, all the hippies knew that one, right? New Boss, same as the old boss. And this is exactly what we have happening in this text. The Babylonians, um, the evil empire under Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar is gone. It's, it's, it's in the, the dustbin heap of history. We found that out last week. And now the Persians, Medes, the Persian Empire under the rule of Darius is the new bully on the block. And make no mistake, even though Daniel has favor under this particular king, this empire is none the better than the other. Just as evil, just as wicked, just as notorious, okay, just, just as big of a bully. Now what's interesting about this passage is this, is this figure named Darius, there's no historical record of Darius outside of, of the Bible. And we saw last week, and that was the same for about 2,000 years when it came to Belshazzar. Remember last week we talked about he was the last ruler of Babylon. People used the absence of him in antiquity to say, you know, see, the Bible is just historically unreliable. It's myths. It's fairy tales. This is all just a fig newton of someone's imagination that they are conjuring up as we go along here. To lo and behold, in the late 1800s, what did we find? Records in the Babylonian archaeological dig that indicated that Belshazzar, in fact, was exactly who Daniel says he was. So, we're confronted with the same issue with Darius. Now, scholars have been all over the place on this, but I think probably the most likely scenario is that, in fact, Darius is the same person as Cyrus. Remember, Cyrus was the one who was predicted by Isaiah who was going to issue the edict to free the, the nation of Israel and send them back to their homeland, which does happen shortly thereafter. Okay, not in the book of Daniel. It happens in Esther and other places, Ezra, Nehemiah. But when we look at antiquity, we find that the term Darius is actually a title. It's often used ubiquitously um, for numbers of Persian rulers. Okay? And so, if you, in fact, if you go down to the end of the chapter, in, in chapter 6, the Hebrew, in fact, could read, okay, and I'm going to, it says, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius. And the Hebrew, in fact, could say, even the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Okay, let me, just, let me just put you at ease, okay, people of God. Time is always on the people of God's side, okay? Um, there may be things that are unclear to us in God's word. There may be things historically that don't, that don't make sense right now, okay? But time proves the best indicator that, in fact, the books of the Bible are historical. They're reliable. We're not worshiping fairy tales or, or myths, Okay? God is the God of history. He works in the lives of his people, in political events, in rulers, and in elections. And so as we think about this transition in this text from one leader to another, 
we need to be reminded of something here in an election season. The change of circumstances and rulers, whether they're presidents, nations, congresses, state houses, governors, and this is, this is so hard for us to get a hold of, but it's true. All of those changes have no bearing on your call and my call from God to thrive spiritually. It has no bearing on your call, my call, our capacity to thrive spiritually. We see this over and over in the life of Daniel. No election, let me say it clearly, no cultural event, no political development can eliminate what God can do through his people outside of the political process. Don't make the mistake. Okay, and this is something evangelicals have done for a long time. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God can only work through one political outcome. Guys, God is not confined to what happens in November. Is that a shock? <laughs> He's not confined. He wasn't confined 2,500 years ago. He's not confined now. What we so often see is that God works outside of the events of history. He works independently of them. He's not constrained by them. Guys, this is the knowledge that undergirded everything Daniel was about. We talked, I'm not going to preach last week's sermon again this week. Everybody say amen. Okay, don't want to do that. But let's remember Daniel 11:32. Everybody's like, thank you, thank you, Pastor. Okay, the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Okay, so, so we know that's the undergirding. Okay, what was it though about Daniel's life that we see in this text that enabled him by the help of God, by God's grace, the spirit of God to thrive in his Babylon? There's four things about his life. Daniel was incorruptible. Daniel was available. Daniel was faithful. And Daniel was trustful. We're going to look at those in order, here we go, verse 2, incorruptible. It says in verse 2 that Darius set over his, Daniel over his affairs so that he would experience no loss. And the idea there is that he trusted Daniel, but he also trusted him financially. See, he was confident that Daniel would not skim anything off the top. He was confident that Daniel was not the Don Corleone of the Persian Empire, right? Okay, He wasn't sending Luca Brazzi around to collect the rent money for that week. And the reason, one of the reasons that Darius trusted him so much, look at verse 3, it says that he distinguished himself, that Daniel had an excellent spirit. Okay, literally the word means there was nothing in Daniel's life, listen, that anyone could grab a hold of. When you looked for some defect, it was like pouring motor oil over a flagpole and trying to shimmy to the top, right? Okay, you just couldn't get any grip. It doesn't mean that Daniel was perfect. It just meant okay, that there was nothing in Daniel's life, if it was known or exposed, that would justifiably incur charges of unrighteousness or unfaithfulness. That's what the text means. And it says that Daniel rose to prominence. And just like we saw back in chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, professional jealousy ruled the palace. So here you have these Persians or their holdovers for the Babylonian Empire. We don't know for sure. 
But here you have these interlopers, these carpetbaggers, these scalawags from Israel who were rising to prominence, Daniel chief among them. And it says, look in, look in verse 5, they came by agreement, which means they came with a mob-like frenzy. They were intent on tearing Daniel from limb to limb. That's how much they hated him. But there was nothing they could grab hold of. So they looked to his religious convictions. Look at verse 5. They knew they would have to bring charges in connection with the law of his God. So they persuaded Darius to sign this document. This document essentially said, for the next 30 days, you can worship Darius and Darius alone. See, Darius would have liked this one because it appealed to his ego. But number two, it was another way of simply cementing his new reign and his authority. Remember, when Nebuchadnezzar came to power, what did he do? He built a what? Statue, 90 foot by 90 foot, by 90 foot by 9. Asked everybody to come and worship. It was a way of consolidating his power. All these different religions and polytheistic culture would come, and they would unify around their worship of of this dictator, of this empire. And so Darius gets with it. He signs the document. And this idea that this document was bound by the law of the Medes and Persians, we don't know a ton about this, okay? But we do know that, that, that for the Persians, making a law was a serious business. Laws were irrevocable because laws were serious. Hey, in our culture, it's exactly the opposite. We have a ton of laws, don't we? Okay, more laws, the better, and the more ways to get around them, even better than that, right? That was not their attitude here. Daniel, not perfect, though, was incorruptible. Now, let's try to bring this into our lives here for a minute and think about what it means for us to thrive in Babylon. Being, and, and by the way, this idea of having nothing to hold on to, the New Testament calls that what? Being above reproach. See, being above reproach means walking in a way that even even if you are falsely accused, and by the way, you will be, that even if you are falsely accused, even if you are misunderstood, your life and your reputation are such that the charges would not have an inkling of plausibility. How many times have you heard some news about some figure or politician or pastor or religious leader, and you hear the charges and you're like, eh, I can see that. Okay? It's a shame. It's an indictment, right? Billy Graham, it's a shame to have to explain who Billy Graham is, but we do. Okay? But Billy Graham is famed evangelist, one of the fathers of evangelicalism, sat in the many seats of power with various presidents. He's now in his 90s. And, and Billy Graham had a policy of, and I've mentioned this before to you guys, okay? Billy Graham had a policy of traveling alone. He would never travel alone with a woman. He would never be in the elevator with a woman. He would never go to lunch alone with a woman. Now, we look at that today and say, that's prudish, right? That is so silly. That is so antiquated. But let me tell you, you never heard a charge brought against him, did you? And if you had, what would you have said? Just like, just like Princess Bride, inconceivable. Okay? You're like, inconceivable. There's just no way. Let me ask you and me, 
Does our lives, do our lives have the same ring of authenticity or holiness? And let me tell you what, what, what holiness, and guys, that's such a whoa, whoa, you know, that's not an in vogue word. We're into things like authenticity, okay, right? We're into things like transparency, but holiness, oh my goodness, that sounds holiness set apart. Be ye perfect, like the King James said, like my heavenly Father is perfect. Holy. What does holiness have to do with spiritual thriving? Remember this. Holiness will have a polarizing effect in your life. Holiness will either draw people in or it will recite or it will incite opposition. Holiness does not invoke neutrality. Okay, and we see this clearly in this text. On one hand, Daniel has amazing favor. Okay, he's like, he's like the church in Acts. Remember when it says that God's just adding all the time to the people and people are coming to know the Lord and the, and the city of Jerusalem and the citizens are holding them in high in favor. But at the same time, what? Somebody's trying to throw Daniel to the lions. Somebody's wanting to tear him limb from limb. Favor and opposition. The church is multiplying in Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4. And what is happening? Peter, John, to prison. Okay, James beheaded, Stephen martyred, okay? Understand that holiness will invoke some sort of response. It does with Daniel. Because let me say this, I think we underestimate the power of holiness and thriving spiritually in a Babylon. A lot of times our, our stance is, the more I can blend in, the better, Okay? Keep in the fetal position in the corner. Keep head underneath arms. Well, let me say something about holiness. Being set apart, a heart after God. Holiness cannot be explained away. Holiness is befuddling. It's confusing. It's confounding to people in the world. But it cannot be explained away. And oftentimes, it gives you entrance into the playing field. And that's what happens with Daniel. This is a great quote by Sinclair Ferguson. Holiness puts back into our lives the attractiveness of personal character for which humans were originally created. Because we yearn for the personal attractiveness of character, do we not? We, We yearn for it. Leaders, families, fathers, presidents, someone... Guys, we cannot thrive spiritually unless, unless we too are incorruptible, not perfect. Okay? Not, 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 not that we're not sinners standing in need of grace. We're going to come to that in a minute. But having a heart set on pleasing the Lord. Okay, second one. We've got to keep going. Available. Daniel was not only incorruptible, he was available. Incorruptibility had helped win Daniel influence, had earned him a seat at the table, And Daniel was made chief or president, third in power in the land. Guys, remember this, as much as we say things about politicians, what was Daniel? A politician, okay? He was a politician, okay? He was was powerful. That's why he incited such opposition. But here's the astounding thing. Here's the thing that we oftentimes overlook in this text. What's a little known fact about Daniel by this time? You know how old Daniel is? 
I was about to say older than Dave Harvey, okay? We know that, okay? He is mid-80s, pushing 90. Daniel. See, he had been out. Remember, Daniel had been the favorite of Nebuchadnezzar. He had been out, out of favor with Belshazzar. But even when he was out of favor, Daniel never removed himself from the action. Daniel had a mindset that he was going to be spiritually productive all the way to the end of his life. Not to when he was 52, not to when he was 62, when it was time to tap out. He said, God, I am going to make myself available to be used in the lives of your people, in the service of the king, in any way that I can. Guys, in an affluent culture, which we clearly live in, there's a propensity as we get older and wealthier to personally shrink. Okay? Do, do, do you know what I mean by that? What I mean, we, we become less spiritually productive. We become less available. We get totally caught up in any host of things that divert our attention from service to the people of God. I call this emeritus Christianity. Hey, what does the word emeritus mean? Well, you knew I would draw upon my Tennessee Lord to, to tell this story. Okay, so, so Pat Summit, greatest women's basketball coach of all time. The guy at UConn does not count, okay? But, but Pat Summit, winningest all-time women's coach ever, multiple national championships, raised on a farm in West Tennessee. Um, she, a number of years ago, five or six years ago, was diagnosed with early um, on stage of Alzheimer's. And she had to immediately retire. But because she was such a prominent figure, because she meant so much to the university, because she was a public, a, someone in the public eye, they made her head coach emeritus. Okay? So what does emeritus mean? It means in name only. It means honorary. Pat Summit didn't come to practice every day. Okay? Pat Summit didn't coach the games. Pat Summit showed up a couple of times a year to receive an award and be honored and be recognized for what she had done. Guys, emeritus Christians are those who are no longer serving, but retain the title as an honor. Guys, are, let's just really think about that. Let that land on us. Are we guilty of being emeritus Christians, regardless of where we are in the life cycle? Because let, let, let me tell you about an example of what I think emeritus Christianity is not. Okay? Many of you know Carrie and Jenny Schoolfield of this church. Um, Carrie and Jenny have two children. They raised them uh, in part at Four Oaks. They've been here about 22 years. Carrie worked for DCF and the House Representatives for the State. Uh, Jenny, God bless her soul, was a teacher, was the principal at Community Christian School, and they decided, okay, at, and because they're about how old, like, something like that? Okay, anyway, no, they're in their early 60s, and they decided we're going to retire. And when I say retire, here's what I don't mean. We're going to find a nice place in Vermont, okay, and collect leaves for the rest of our life, okay? That's not what I'm talking about, okay? That's not, what the, that's not the kind of retirement. Carrie and Jenny said, God, our life is yours. We want to be spiritually productive for our whole lives. That does not expire at the age of 62. So they're moving to North Carolina. They're moving to Raleigh. 
to support the church that their son Matt is in. Matt planted a church, Fellowship Raleigh, some 10 years ago. We support that church. Uh, we supported them. We're partners with them. They said, look, we, our, our kid, yeah, Matt's there. His wife's there. Our a million granddaughters are up there. We're gonna, yes, we're going to go be near them. We want to be a part of them. But listen, that church needs us. That church is full of young people. That church is, you know, we, we've served in the, in the body for 40 years. Guys, what a waste it would have been to say we're, we're done. We're tapping out from the people of God. No emeritus Christianity, certainly not Daniel, 90 years of age. Guys, here, here, here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. I want to I call all of us to begin to cultivate a vision for the rest of our lives and what it means to be spiritually productive now. Okay? Cultivate a vision for your retirement in your 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s. Don't dream about the day that you're done. When are you going to be done? When you're dead, okay? Then you're in heaven, okay? That's what that time is for. This time, be awake. Call to action. Be spiritually productive. Okay? Thrive in your Babylon. Guys, I, this is going to sound like I'm the old man, and when I was a young boy, okay, they don't mean any of that. Okay? Four Oaks, God's people need you. Millennials need you. The church needs you. And God has, has vested in you, raised you up for such a time as this. Daniel was just biding his time saying, God, where do you want me to serve? As I understand, look, by the way, this is not legalism. There's lots of reasons you may not be able to work anymore. We're not talking about that. Age and status of your job and your health. I'm talking about having a mindset of spiritual productivity. Titus 2.14, this is what Titus 2.14, and it is, this does not apply to anybody under 50. Okay, listen to this. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. No time limit, no expiration date. People of God... What does it mean not only to be incorruptible, but to be available? Number three, Daniel was not only incorruptible, he was not only available, he was faithful. Look at verse 10. Darius signs the decree. Now listen carefully what Daniel does when he hears that the decree has been signed. It says, when Daniel knew, he went. Okay, do you say, <laughs> he's making a point here. Literally, he made a beeline to his prayer closet. In other words, he didn't pray and then incidentally find out later that the law had been passed. You know, you try to pull that with a policeman, right? This, this is a 35-mile-an-hour zone? Are you kidding? I, I thought it was 55. Oh, yeah, 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 I'll do better next time. Hey, that's not what Daniel did. It was intentional. It was strategic. It was conscious. It was, can I use this term, provocative. Now, here's the question a lot of us are thinking about as we're thinking about what does it mean to be faithful for us in our Babylon, in our context, in our time. 
And the question we want to ask is this. In order to be faithful, was it really necessary for Daniel to do what he did? Was it really necessary? Because let's be honest, the Bible says to pray. We all know that. The Bible does not tell us all the ways to pray all the time, every day. The Bible says pray publicly in worship, pray silently in your prayer closet, pray privately, pray while you're walking, pray with your eyes open, pray without ceasing. There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to go and face the east wall towards Jerusalem and pray three times a day. Could Daniel not just have started this one? Couldn't Daniel just have had a prayer walk around the palace? Prayed in precatory psalms or whatever, okay, down upon the nation of, of Persia. No, I mean, couldn't he have done that? Because I think this thing that Daniel does gets us very close to understanding what faithfulness looks like in our life. Look, look back in verse 10. When Daniel knew he went, now listen, as he had done previously. Daniel didn't change anything. Kept, Daniel kept doing what he had always done. And I think that gives us a good clue as to, as to one dimension of faithfulness here. Faithfulness is doing what God wants you to do, whether there's favor or opposition. Faithfulness is doing what God wants you to do, whether there is favor or there is opposition. There's a man um, back in the 1600s named John Bunyan and wrote a very famous book, Pilgrim's Progress. He was a Puritan, a dissenter. That means that he was part of the Church of England but wanted to purify. That's where the word comes from, Puritan. To purify the Church of England. And they said, John... You can remain free. Just stop preaching. Just stop preaching. Just stop, stop calling a public worship service together and preaching. They did not ask him to disavow Christ. They did not ask him to, to denounce his faith. They didn't tell him he couldn't tell his family about the gospel. He didn't tell, they didn't tell him, you know, you have to stop going to the pub and sharing your faith there. They just said, stop having public worship and preaching. But he said, because he was Daniel, it was what he always did. He said, I will not. He had a wife and four kids, one daughter whom was blind. And Bunyan remained in that prison for 12 years. His family was able to come and visit him. But here's what he said after one of their visits. This was the cost of faithfulness. He said, the parting hath oft been to me in this place, as the pulling the flesh from my bones. Because it may not be preaching or praying publicly for you, but what are the contours of faithfulness in your own life? What are the contours of faithfulness in my life? Where are you and I being tempted to shut it down, to take the path of least resistance, to stop doing what we know God has already called us to do? That's the crucible of faithfulness. Now, and as we sort this out, let me say something. I want, don't miss what's happening here with Daniel and the role of prayer. As Daniel was such a praying man, Daniel was so after the heart of God that when his test of faithfulness came, 
there was simply no hesitation. He went immediately. He knew immediately. He was convicted immediately. I can't tell you what that thing is in your life. But I do know this. It was Daniel's prayer life, his humility to come before the throne of God's grace regularly. I mean, three times a day, this, this, is, just, this is just a standard prayer. Guys, this man was a prayer. This man was seeking after God. If you want to thrive spiritually, when your Daniel moment comes, and make no mistake, it comes, and it's probably coming now, and it's probably already come, it's going to happen tomorrow as well, means praying today. And let's be honest, guys. If the edict came down in Tallahassee, no more praying. Would we even feel the effect at all? Would you feel the effect at all? Would it even register for you because of the lack thereof? Guys, personally convicting for me. Guys, if we're going to thrive in Babylon, not only do we have to be incorruptible and available, we have to be faithful, coming before God in his presence and asking God, what does this look like for me? What does this look like for my marriage? What does this look like for my family? What does this look like for my kids? And then immediately, when brought to that moment, we know. Last point, we're done. Trustful. Daniel was trustful. We get to the lion part. We're there, finally. Daniel obeys, and they take him straight to the lion's den, but not before a little more drama, right? Look down in verses 14 and 16. It says, Darius was distressed. Darius set his mind. Darius worked till sunset. In other words, Darius was trying to figure out every trick he could to get around the law he had just signed. And we're like, that's kind of cool. Darius really liked Daniel. Warning. Warning. Political favor will not save you. Political favor will not save us. Then why then do we say, does, does, does Daniel tell us all this? Why, do, why does he go to this point of telling about the torment of Darius? And Darius is pulling each and every string to try to save Daniel. Why does Daniel tell us this? Daniel wants us to be clear, Four Oaks, that the outcome of Daniel's faithfulness is in God's hands, in God's hands alone. God's hands and God's hands alone. Verse 16, Darius says it exactly right. May your God, who you serve, continually save you. Subtitle, because I surely cannot. God is the only one that can save us, Four Oaks. You see, it was up to God okay, to, to, to provide Daniel direction. It's up to God to determine what happens with his faithfulness. Daniel's job was to trust. And we may say, Pastor Paul, that's easy for Daniel. See, he was saved. He was saved. Guys, Daniel didn't know that when he obeyed, did he? Could you imagine how terrifying it would be as a 90-year-old man, okay, a 47-year-old man being let down with ropes into a cavern of wild, ravenous beasts who've been starved. 
who are ready to tear you from limb to limb. Remember in Sunday school, you would color those pictures of Daniel in the lion's den? Remember that? And Daniel would always be smiling with his arm around the lion. Okay, I don't, I, yeah, man, I don't think so, okay? I don't think so. Okay. Daniel didn't know this when he obeyed. See, thriving in Babylon is not about what happens. It's about being faithful and entrusting the results to God. Look at verse 22. God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. Tricky question, okay? Got to address it. Isn't the text teaching something like Daniel's holiness wins him God's favor and gets him delivered? And by the way, we wrestle with these kind of questions. If I just have enough faith, will God not heal me? I'm being eaten by the lions this morning, Pastor Paul. Literally, my marriage, my parenting, my finances, they're all in the lion's pit. Am I doing something wrong? Does God not love me? Does God not care for me? Because it's what I call if-then theology. If I this, then God blanks. It's hurtful, it's destructive, and as long as I'm here, I will preach with every fiber of my being against it because it's not biblical. Look at Hebrews 11. We'll read it real quick, then we're done. The writer of Hebrews is narrating the people of God and their feats of strength. And he doesn't reference Daniel by name, but by occasion. Now listen to what he says. And what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell me of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith... Now listen to all these cool things, and we're like, this is cool. Conquer kingdoms, enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions. There you go. Quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. They're thriving, right? That's the kind of thriving I want to do. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sewn in two. They were killed with the sword. Now, sometimes we, by God's grace, we escape for a season. And oftentimes we do not. Faithfulness does not guarantee one or the other. The point is that God will use your faithfulness and the faithfulness of his people to honor him both in life and in death. Because that's, that's, the, that's the scene going on behind the curtains. If this life is all there is, we are really in trouble. Okay, we're really in trouble. We are laboring for a dot. But God says, I'm preparing for you an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Look at verse 26. People are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. Guys, God orchestrates the outcome of our faithfulness to give himself the most glory. Sometimes that means being rescued from the lions. Other times... It does not. We simply trust that he knows best. But as we prepare to come to the table, let me say this. Ultimately, our supreme model in what it means to thrive in Babylon is ultimately not Daniel. Who is it? It's Jesus. You see, he was faithful, available, 
incorruptible, trustful of his Father, and never sinned. And God, make no mistake, did not rescue him from the den of lions. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, was crushed under the Father's wrath so that you and I could have eternal life. Four oaks, no matter what happens to you in this life, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, he has already delivered you from the lion's den. I don't know what your experiential lion's den is this morning, but I do know that you have a high priest, and I have a high priest, who's been let down on the end of that rope, just like you and I, but deserved nothing, complaining not once, but laying down his life for his people. Guys, Four Oaks, God has given us a great opportunity in our Babylon. A great opportunity to be a witness for his name, to be faithful, to see him work through us. May it be so. And when it's not, let us run to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.